Today on the topic show of Bud Light, censorship is ramping up. Vivek Ramaswamy goes viral in a response video to his critics. A 12-year-old honorable student who wears the Gatson flag and is kicked out of school. Bud Light college tweet gets only one group to like it. Vivek Ramaswamy goes viral on how to fix crime. Nikki Haley is ratioed on her war tweet. Biden is proposing the highest raise for feds since the Carter administration. Mitch McConnell is medically cleared to work again. The United Auto Workers has filed an unfair labor practices with the National Relationship Board against General Motors and Chrysler. Volkswagen is killing the stick shift for the manual transmission GTI. The Dow Journal stock crashes 14%. Lululemon outlook is going up thanks to a 61% increase in sales in China. idea to try to combat sales slump is biscuits. And Trader Joe's has yet another recall for a food product. All of that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder released twice a day. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner and need a little assistance, you can reach the team over at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, we're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of the month, so you can click that button and greatly appreciate it. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have Volkswagen killing the stick shift for the GTI. I, it's almost as, the, as if the wind was removed from my sails and I died a little inside. So this will be after 2024, enthusiasts will no longer be able to get the vehicle with the transmission that is made and destined to have. This has been an icon. The GTI came out in 1976 and enthusiasts have been loving it ever since with a stick shift, a six speed, a manual transmission. Now it looks like the current GTI's six speed manual transition, transmission will be replaced by a seven, well, I, I barely say it, my, the mouth, it's almost as if there's a, a bad expired food in my mouth trying to say this. It's gonna have a seven speed dual clutch automatic transmission. Hooray. No enthusiast wants that. That's. I, I can't think of a vehicle that is more destined to have a stick shift than the Volkswagen GTI. It's their fun hot hatch. I mean, it rivaled the Ford Focus ST back when the Ford Focus was still around. And now they're giving away the... So all the people who would have bought it because they want the manual transmission, they appreciate that rare connection between man and machine. I know for the thousandth time, it's not as fast. Technology has replaced that since I believe the 80s when Porsche came out with the automatic transmission that was faster than the stick shift, but it is so much more fun going to a corner downshift into the third gear. And if you've never driven third pedals, I highly recommend going out, driving a stick shift. You'll never want to go back. It is so much fun. Now, at this, after they cease production of this manual transmission GTI, if an enthusiast wants a fun little car with a stick shift, they're down to basically three options. You're gonna have the Honda Civic Type R, which is actually exclusively a stick shift, which I do appreciate. You also have the Honda, they have the Honda Civic Si, which is also a great stick shift vehicle as well. You also have the Toyota GR Corolla and the Hyundai Elantra N. Those all come with a stick shift as every enthusiast wants. And unfortunately, it isn't just because the company wants to acquiesce and make boring vehicles. It's because of the government. Now, Several articles have noted that the increased environmental concerns over in Europe 
and the increasing regulations around emissions. So, you know, no one's complaining about China or India producing more, more of the pollution than you could possibly fathom, and the greatest percentage as well. But we need to kneecap the automotive experience for people in the U.S. and in Europe. Pathetic, ridiculous, and sad to see such such a pinnacle of the automotive community. Something that enthusiasts have loved for literally half a century. Now dying. Though, perhaps, there's a small sliver of hope. If the government could put a gun to the automotive company's head and force them to make EVs with a de facto ban by increasing the emission standards, what's stopping a new political leader from, well, what if they just say, you know what? We're going to have a new, uh, little, on the U.S. we would have a little... We have a couple of mechanisms in the United States when it comes to political actions. You have executive action. And you just say, hey, you know what? Every automotive company, you're gonna make a V8, a V10 with a stick shift only. I wonder if people would actually get off their keisters and get politically motivated to tell the government, hey, we want the free market to prevail. We want the automotive community to make what the people want, not what you want. While at the same time, of course, governments use, you know, the largest gas burning SUVs on the planet. Remember, rules for thee, but not for me, unfortunately. So I do hope some things change in Europe and somehow the enthusiast community can be write some letters to the executives of our Volkswagen, let them know. Demand is still there. People still want these vehicles. And hopefully, maybe we could somehow save an automotive icon from dying. I can only hope, but I would say, time, I would say, say ciao tell. Other interesting business news, you have Dollar General, their stock crashes. Perhaps they're going to be downgraded to a lieutenant. Now, it looks like the stock crashed about 14%, going down to $135 per share. And the company is attributing it to two things in particular. One is the exponentially increasing theft, which in the United States, well, in many countries, somehow morons or people are just surprised. When we don't prosecute crime, it increases. Who would have guessed? And they're still not changing the policy. They're still not changing the policies to actually address the issue. So it's only going to get worse. So they're saying we have a lot of theft in general, so that's going to be an issue. And then they're saying the pandemic handouts are coming to an end. So for, in the United States specifically, the government actually paid people more to stay at home and not work than to work, which, yeah, was terrible for the economy and the labor market. And it gives you a great example of dystopian future where everyone talks about ridiculous ideas like everyone getting paid just to stay at home and do nothing. Because, of course, then you become nothing, as we saw in the pandemic. Everyone got, people got paid to stay home and do nothing. Do they invent the new iPhone 25 or the new car or no no absolutely not they just stay and watch netflix and other basically human vegetables in many cases not all but an overall majority it kind of seems that way now they expect their sales forecast to actually decrease in their outlook they are changing their full year to rise between 1.3 percent and 3.3 percent previously they were forecasting an increase of sales of 3.5 to 5 percent so they're about cutting their expectations in half that's going to scare the ever-living hell out of the investors who are putting money into this company, thinking it's going to increase and grow over time, and they're going to get a positive return on their investment. And it'll be interesting to see a fair amount of the items in the store are considered non-discretionary, non but they make more profits on the discretionary things. Discretionary is a fancy term in retail where it's crap you don't need. Think about where they sell at dollar stores. Mm, staplers, scented candles for cars, uh, really low quality screwdrivers, stuff that's non-consumable. And that's usually 
Target's having the same issue. People are buying the staples, like the food and the groceries, which is a lower profit margin. So those companies are struggling in many ways. That is also because of it. Now, they also said that they expect their full year earnings to decline 22% to 34% from the previous estimate of flat to an 8% decrease. That is exponentially terrible for the company. And I can't fathom to see how much stuff will it take the United States for people to actually change, for people to demand the insurance companies change their policies for the stores, and for the stores to actually prosecute crime, and for the people to elect district attorneys who actually also prosecute criminals. How much theft will it take? Target alone is looking at about $400 million in theft this year. It'll be interesting to see how, let me know in the comments, how far do you think society goes to fall before they actually enact some discipline? It'll be interesting to see, but unfortunately, as Magic Gate Ball might say in this case, I venture to say Alec is not so good. Other interesting businesses, you have Lulumom increasing their outlook thanks to a 61% increase in sales in China, or as some might say, China, which say what you want about Trump. He did kind of coin that phrase. And every time I, every time I read that, I hear his voice. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but it certainly is memorable. Now they actually raised their full year guidance last Thursday, uh, earlier this uh, last week on Thursday, after reporting an 18% jump in sale in both sales and profit for its fiscal second quarter. Thankfully, mostly in part because that 61% increase in China. Now they expect their sales now to come in between 9.5, one billion dollars and 9.57 billion dollars for the full fiscal year which dear god that that is an astronomical amount of those exercise pants for women though many would find them tasteful if if worn in the privacy of your own home gym now they also that those numbers also compared to a range of 9.44 billion to 9.51 billion so if you're a shareholder you're ecstatic because the company is saying hey we're aiming for this goal now we're up there. Now our goal is higher. And again, companies are usually pretty conservative on Wall Street because they know when it comes to increasing their goals, because they know, I mean, people are buying a stock based on that word, based on that statement. And if they miss that goal, people sell the stock in droves. It's one of the, perhaps the worst thing on Wall Street is to miss your sales expectations mm -hmm. because yeah, it would, it, it's a good sign that the outlook is not so good. As a wise magic eight ball would say, which I know is an inanimate object, it actually has anime wisdom. Though it's ironically interesting enough that magic eight ball is probably more correct more times than a politician, but as a pun. Now, looks like Lululemon is up to 107 stores in China. Jeez Louise, and when I asked for comment, the CEO Calvin McDonald said both e commerce and in store sales were performing, quote, incredibly well in China, unquote. Now, it'll be interesting to see what, the, again, the, one of the biggest issues in the United States, especially with retail, is theft. It'll be interesting to see, does the CEO actually grow a backbone or some integrity? I know those are rare things uh, in modern society, unfortunately. I say this because a couple months ago with Lulumon, you had two employees. There was a robbery, and unfortunately, the employees were unarmed and unable to defend themselves properly. And they're in the store. The guys came in, stole everything. The employees followed the thieves out and recorded them on a phone in an attempt to get the license plate so they can report the proper authorities. Although ironically, even if they did, they would just be let out the next day because of the United States is so soft on crime. Now, the CEO fired those two employees because it went against the corporate guidelines, which I suppose the corporate guidelines is just to acquiesce to all criminal activity and allow your store to lose. I believe that is estimated $7,000 of merchandise. So there's a lot, I did a poll on LinkedIn and like 91% out of 300 people who voted 
agreed with the statement that the CEO made the wrong business decision to fire the people. Even if it was by their shitty guidebook, it's not a good message in my opinion and many people on the LinkedIn because you're quite literally encouraging theft. You're saying, oh yeah, we're not going to stop you at all. So of course you can get more theft. Granted, the profit margins on those things are so good they can afford to, I guess, be stolen from a couple times. I can't help but think those sheer, what do you call those, leggings, cost, I was going to say 18 cents, maybe 75 cents in Vietnam to create. And idiots, I mean, people in America buy them for like 80 bucks, which Jesus Louise. So I can only assume they can afford to get a couple of thefts, but overall it's not a good look for the company because it's supposed to be a premium brand company. If anything, I would say go out, hire some retired veterans, have them guard the store, and let people know if you come to our store, you will be safe. Because again, the main demographic of Lululemon is women. So you want to project the image that I know it's like, oh, I hate this. I hate the cliche term of safe space, but you want to let them know it will be a safe experience if you go to that store. You're not going to have to worry about theft. You'll actually be protected. So it'll be interesting to see what the CEO does from here, but it looks like sales are booming and Again, one of the things when it comes to global sales, especially when you, when business gets large enough, China can make or break many companies. They'll be able to see how much they grow and continue in that country. I always say, time should tell. Other interesting business news, you have IHOP. They have a brilliant new way or an idea to combat the sales slump. Biscuits, which, okay. So IHOP is, you know, International House of Pancakes. Well, and they're known for pancakes. Although some more on in their marketing department, a couple years back, they attempted to make hamburgers and they, it was a shtick or like a joke or a marketing stunt where they were going to change their name to IHOB. And it, the joke was, it's going to be International House of Burgers. And as far as I know, they didn't really increase any sales. It just confused fans, annoyed people and had everyone thinking, well, what the hell are you thinking? Like you, if you can't get a pancake right, how the hell are you going to get a hamburger right? When there's a lot more variables and I would debate ingredients as well that go into making a good hamburger, but I'm partially digress. Now they purchased a lot of their menu by about a third during the pandemic. So kind of going the McDonald's route where when McDonald's was first founded, they had a huge menu with a bunch of stuff and they quickly realized the majority of profits came from about six or seven items. So they just purged the menu and they just kept it simple. So they kept to the main things that made the most money. And by doing so, you're able to streamline the business, make everything more efficient. Makes sense. So it looks like IHOP did that during the pandemic as well. And they're claiming that the new item menus are largely focused on driving attendance and diners during lunch and dinner hours and attracting more takeout offers, which who, I, I, my mind is moderately blown. Who's gonna go to IHOP for dinner? I mean, I would debate you, like if in terms of like equal restaurant experience budget, I would guess you maybe go to a Denny's, which interestingly enough, I haven't seen in Shoot, maybe 10. I don't think they're certainly not doing well for marketing in Texas. I've never, I don't think I've seen one actually now that I think about it. But yeah, I, I can't fathom people going to dinner to a pancake store. And businesses try that. It seems like you have a pendulum in many businesses throughout the decades where you have them being doing one thing really exceptionally well. They try to grow. Some of them go and diversify the company exponentially. There's one time where General Electric made everything from nuclear warheads to mini guns to fridges and washing machines. They're probably, and oil and gas, they're probably a good example of one of my most diverse companies on the planet in terms of their portfolio of products. And, you know, after a couple of hard fiscal quarters, they decided to consolidate and they came up with, I believe, four key business categories that they now serve. And they even spun off the uh, home appliance section. So it's, nowadays it's just a licensing deal. It's not GE actually making it. 
But with IHOP, they're they're trying to make. It seems like such now, what they should do, in my opinion, they should advertise Brinner breakfast for dinner. That's a brilliant thing. You sometimes can't be a good egg white omelet with salmon, some roasted onions, vegetables thrown in there. Why not advertise that? There, there's an underserved Brinner community, I would argue, but no, they want to go with biscuits and try to serve biscuits for lunch and dinner. What? Like, it seems like a Starbucks. I, I don't. So going to going over to the fiscal behind the IHOP, they say in the latest quarter, IHOP same store sales grew by just 2.1% despite higher menu prices compared to the year ago period. Now their sister brand Applebee's, which they both own, they bought them out. They did even worse reporting the same store sales declined 1% in the same period. Well, yeah, it's Applebee's. I don't know who the hell. I I don't know who soberly goes to Applebee's, Applebee's willingly. Like, I, I've never heard someone say that is their first choice of food. Now that I think about it. I don't even think they sell fresh apples. So, even false advertising, too. Now, it looks like shares of Dine Brands, which is a parent company that owns both of them, they've fallen 25% this quarter. And I know public schools are at all-time low for history, math scores. 25% is known as one-fourth or a quarter, similar to a quarter of a dollar, which is now useless because of the government inflation printing more money, but nevertheless, one-fourth. That's that much less. I've now done more than some public schools in America, which is sad. Now, it looks like they dragged its market value down to 856 million, which, that's not good, which if you're a company you used to be worth billions, now you're getting you're all below that mark. It's not good. Now they claim this breakfast biscuit sandwich with a choice of a side will be available September 26th for seven dollars to appeal to budget-minded customers. Which, yeah, you have to. It's IHOP. No one's gonna pay fifteen, twenty dollars for a biscuit. I mean, so I mean, you, that's the other issue about that business is. The entry level of businesses, which is a nice way of saying cheap businesses or having a lower price point, the consumers are even more sensitive to price changes. And you need to make a profit, but you can't, re you can't raise the price too much. So they're in a very competitive market and very difficult market. The main way they make money is volume, very similar to McDonald's. McDonald's only makes a little, little money per item, but if you have more and more of those items, they add up in aggregate, and that's how you make a living. Now, granted, McDonald's is a corporation in Chicago, they make it because they're a real estate company, but the franchise owner is what I'm referring to in this case. So it'll be interesting to see how they do, but yeah, I can't fathom. I, I wouldn't, yeah, I would never get a biscuit from an IHOP. Granted, I've also, I don't think I've been there in 15, 20 years. Have you guys seen IHOP lately? Their marketing is definitely not great because I haven't even hardly thought of them in years. Let me, let me know in the comments, do you even have an IHOP by you? And if you do, when was the last time you walked in there? And if you did, let me know. Is it, did you buy something that was not pancakes? Because that's the category they're trying to grow out of and go away from their core competency. It'll be interesting to see if they're able to increase their sales. But at this point, I, I don't see this making a big impact. Again, a better marketing idea, I think, is go for the Brinner. That might be more fun. Incorporate, yeah, get good old salmon egg white omelet. Damn, I would really want one of those one right about now. But even now that I think about it, I go to a mom and pop restaurant near me that makes some, I would say it's kind of mid-level price and they make a little great, some, and great breakfasts and brinners. My, my go-to is never an IHOP. 
So I'll be interested to see if they're able to grow and kind of pull back and increase their sales and get out of that nosedive. And really interested to see, but I always say, time shall tell. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, I have a couple interesting things coming on here. Now, interestingly enough, as it becomes, as you merge the, the topics of business and politics and culture, you seem to have more and more, it's hard to say, I would argue a couple of these belong in cultures because it really is interesting enough in the United States, more and more only during election time, Americans actually get off their keister and examine policies from politicians and see what they're actually going to do. So without further ado, the first culture part, you have Vivek Ramaswamy response to a critical video gets 2.5 million views in 36 hours, which is astronomically successful. And we'll play a little bit of it right here. I spoke too soon. It's up to 2.6 million now. So it's about four, four and a half minutes. He addresses some of the critical comments that have been coming towards him. And I think it helps elaborate on a couple of things he's saying. Hey guys, we are continuing to surge in the race. And that means the knives are continuing to come out. So we're going to keep debunking the myths as they come up. Because I think it's important to be transparent and address criticisms. That's part of what it means. If you can't handle the heat, you stay out of the kitchen. And I'm running for president of the United States, so we're going to address any of these criticisms as they come out. A couple of the favorites from the last couple of days. One is this funny, relatively uh, old hackneyed one that they're pulling back out that I somehow made a lot of money off of some failed Alzheimer's drug. Wrong. Actually, you know what is true is I did develop a drug for Alzheimer's disease. And like 99.7% of drugs that have ever been tested for Alzheimer's, thousands of other drugs, mine was one of the many. That also didn't work. Also, one of the most risky things about pharmaceutical industry, it's one of the things where most of the things they make fail, and very few things actually get cleared by the FDA to be released to the public. That's just a fact of life. If you're developing medicines, some of them aren't going to work. And in the area of Alzheimer's disease, almost none of them work. Now, the mythology is somehow that I made money off this failure. That's wrong. My company, Royvent, set up a subsidiary, Axavand, that Royvent could have sold shares in that I could have sold shares in before that failure. We didn't. In fact, many people would call that honorable. That was extremely painful to me when that drug failed. So how did I make my money then? Well, it turns out that I worked on a number of other medicines, five of which are FDA approved today. One for prostate cancer, another for endometriosis and uterine fibroids, another for psoriasis, another for overactive bladder, Another for a rare genetic condition in kids, where 20 kids a year are born with a genetic disease, where 100% of them die by the age of three. And with treatment, a majority of those kids can live lives of a... Wait a minute, how many did he say? I... ...year are born with a genetic disease, oh, wait, or and uterine fibroids. Another for psoriasis. Another for overactive bladder. Okay. Another for a rare genetic condition in kids where 20 kids a year are born with a genetic disease, where 100% of them die by the age of three. And with treatment, a majority of those kids can live lives of a normal duration. That's very admirable, but I wonder, I can't, I can't conceive, in that specific instance, I can't conceivably see how you make a profit on that, unless they were able to, unless the solution that they created was a derivative where they just tweeted current drug a little bit to make it happen. But yeah, I don't know how to make a profit on 20, I guess it's per year, but still, that seems more of a, it, with the numbers right there, it seems more of a philanthropic or a 
kind of doing all the goodness of your heart because I don't know how to make a profit in that case. I'm proud of those accomplishments. That was part of how I had success in the world of biotech. Yes, that is how you actually create value and make money without apologizing for it. And what I teach young people across this country is, you know what, you're going to go through hardship. Not everything you do is going to succeed. But hardship isn't the same thing as victimhood. Hardship is what teaches you who you are. That worked for me, and that's what's led me to success, not just with Royvent, which is a nearly $10 billion publicly traded company today, this, which is the one that I founded and built from scratch, but several other companies like Chapter and like Strive, other successful companies that I've founded since then as well. So I'll be happy to you know, take my entrepreneurial background and business background toe-to-toe with anybody else. I'm proud to have done that by the age of 38, and it's one of the experiences that will allow me to succeed as chief executive of this country as the next president. Another lie that I've sort of been humored by floating around is this position that I'm somehow anti-Israel. That's just dead false and reflects the desperation of, frankly, some other candidates who feel like their fundraising might be lagging and so they need to figure out how to attack me as a way to raise funds. That's what they seem to be doing. The fact of the matter is, our relationship with Israel will be stronger by the end of my first term than it ever has been. Actually, I was just talking about my company. Turns out one of the founding investors in my company was actually an Israeli firm. I've been to Israel many times. I have deep respect for Israel. And I think our friendship for, with Israel is going to continue to a higher level when I'm the U.S. president because I'll treat it as a friendship, not as just a transactional client relationship. What does that mean? I'm going to lead Israel diplomatically into Abraham Accords 2.0. In my capacity as U.S. president, that'll be a great diplomatic accomplishment. Get Saudi Arabia, Oman, Qatar, Indonesia into that pact. Further partner with Israel to make sure that Iran never, ever becomes a nuclear powerhouse, never becomes nuclear armed. we got to make sure of that. But I also want to learn from Israel. Israel has great border policies, tough on crime policies, a strong national identity. Their schools are also very safe because, guess what? They have armed presence at schools. In the United States, Israeli, or I was going to say Israeli-owned, Israel Faith Community School, or schools in the United States, they're well-armed, so people don't mess with them. One of my favorite examples being where Ben Shapiro made a comment where, I'm not sure if it was his school growing up, it was a, a school that was a Jewish school. There's a white supremacist, he drove to that school, he was gonna, with a gun, he was going to do some harm. He saw this Israeli, with a, I believe it was a Uzi, another great invention from the country, and he drove away. And unfortunately, he went to a school that did not have proper armed guards, and he did some hellish, morally vacuous things. But absolutely, every school should have the same defense that they do in Israel. It's why they're so safe now. They saw an issue back in the day, they armed their teachers, and guess what? Those issues are no longer a thing. Entity, a missile defense system that I would love to have in this country. The Iron Dome is fascinating from a technological perspective and is one of their top defense mechanisms. That's what friends do. They make each other strong. They learn from each other. That's what our friendship with Israel is going to look like. I'm going to have a good relationship with Bibi. I'll invite him to the White House in a way that Biden didn't have the courage to do. This is what it means to be a true friend. And no, I don't talk in the way that a standard establishment GOP politician does reading from a super PAC provided binder. That's not how I roll. I speak authentically, but that's actually going to make for stronger friendships with our allies on the international stage. And more importantly of all, actually make us stronger as a country here at home. In case people forgot, that's actually the job of the U.S. president. So keep them coming. I know the knives are going to bring out some more attacks, and it's all right. We'll keep addressing them, having fun with it. Talk to you. So 
terms of marketing and kind of a move on the political chess board, brilliant because he got a lot of views, literally 2.5 million views in 36 hours. That's ridiculously impressive. Now, it looks like the responses are mostly popular. You have someone saying, and then a couple of pejorative. Now, you have one person saying, you know, why don't you run for a city council first? That got 9,584 views and 124 likes, which is about 1.35% like ratio. And actually had someone respond to that response saying, well, neither did Trump. And that person got 7,658 and 326 likes, given that ratio of 4.3%. So there's some people who had some more positive responses to that. Now, you also had someone by the name of Journey Across the Internet saying, this dude has, it's going to sound silly because it's typos, but quote, this dude has answers for days. Ha ha ha. Love that he just brushes it off and says, okay, guys, what else you got? LMFAO, this is goaded, unquote. I got 11,700 views and 99 likes. So not the best ratio, that's 0.84%. And another one said, Bradley said, thank you for addressing the rumors. Got 4,742 views and 19 likes. So 0.4% like ratio, not the best. But it seems like a lot of the people who are attracted to Vivek as a prospective presidential candidate are pretty happy with his response and coming out and addressing some of the rumors. Now, some of the more pejorative um, responses to this would be Mr. 68 Power Trot. He says, you're just another rich con man, blah, blah, blah. Now, he got 5,586 views and 177 likes. And a couple of people, a couple of people bringing religion in the comment section. Uh, let's see. And a couple of puns being thrown at Ron DeSantis. Now, um, looks like Gish, Gishikita. Parody count, get it. This one says, quote, a missile defense system I'd love to have in this country. One, we're going to need it once Meatball Ron starts bombing Mexican cartels. And two, Raytheon makes Iron Dome missiles, so we have half of it in this country already. Now that got 2,213 views and only one like. Now it is just, we share a lot of defense technologies, especially with Israel. I'm actually surprised, well, not really, because, I mean, politicians in the United States don't really care about protecting our borders. But, yeah, in terms of national security, we should definitely have something similar to the Iron Dome in the United States. And again... Raytheon is one of the most advanced technological manufacturers of defense capabilities on the planet, and they're headquartered, of course, in the United States. Perhaps they're best known for the Patriot missile, which is, at the time, breakthrough technology. And in terms of how kind of you play Call of Duty and you're a little, you like more nuanced, weird tech, they made the Javelin missile, which was known for being a weird thing because the missile would pop out of the tube, go down, and then boost up, which sounded really cool. It was fascinating, and I believe they only cost the taxpayers about $44,600 per unit. So they're a pretty penny, but it's also the best on the market, so to say. So it's interesting. He's got, again, like, there's going to be an inherent bias because people who are following him usually are more attracted to him in terms of you usually follow people you like on Twitter. But it looks like an overwhelming majority of the responses were positive to that. It'll be interesting to see if he's able to keep coming out with these rebuttal videos and if they're popular. And we'll see why his approval rating goes from here in the and what the odds are of him actually becoming president, or as many speculate, the VP, if Trump can navigate the legal field and get the Republican nomination. But I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting culture news, you have Bud Light ramping up the censorship. Now, they are banning everyone in a futile attempt to clean their Twitter sphere. Now, they actually banned me to have the audacity of saying, 
thanks to the reminder, I just bought it some Yangling. And I had a picture of quite literally just a case of Yangling bottles and a case of Yangling cans in front of a carbon fiber American flag. And they thought that was so inappropriate, they blocked me on Twitter. So now the only way I can see what Bud Light is doing is using the channel account or one of my business accounts, since those somehow, oh, those are not banned yet. I say yet, knock on, oh, epoxy on top of Barnwood, but nevertheless, Barnwood. Now, they've now banned one of the most popular responders. They banned Rich Mooney, and they're hiding, well, I should clarify, he's hiding the responses right now. I sent him a message on Twitter asking if he's been banned yet, and I suspect he will be soon. Now, he's most popularly known for doing the Bud Light poll, where every time Bud Light comes out with a tweet, he'll ask people in the comments, hey, what are you going to buy this weekend? You know, Anheuser-Busch InBev product, or not Anheuser-Busch Anheuser InBev product. And of course, I've, throughout the past couple weeks, it's consistently been... I want to say between 91 and 96% people saying no Anheuser-Busch InBev product for me. Now, he actually had audacity. He actually posted a picture of like seven Yangling cans in an ice chest. That was hidden. So no one can see that anymore. Now, they also had another one where his whole polls, those are all hidden now as well. You can't see that. And this, more and more of the comments on any Bud Light poll is about they're all saying, quote, this reply was hidden by the original author. So they're just censoring more and more and more. And oddly enough, the one, I should say one or two times, my, my YouTube videos have only been censored in terms of the comment section being disabled three times or four times. Two or three of them was when I talked about Bud Light. One, ironically, is when I talked about Bud Light censorship the first time, that was immediately comments disabled. Ironic. And then the other time was when I was talking about YouTube censorship, and then they censored me by this. They actually turned off the comments. No matter how many times I manually go into YouTube Studio, the back end, and I will manually say, turn on all comments. No matter how many times, it never, it would always revert back to comments are disabled. So this is they're increasing their censorship on the Twitter platform. And now, it wasn't even two months ago. They were okay with having you post competitor brands like Yangling and Coors Light. Now they're even, they're so sensitive and so desperate to try to get some good responsive responses to brew to the surface. They're even hiding those now where that's not offensive or pejorative to just post a picture of a competing product. I mean, you look at some of the things they hide and they're very entertaining. They're usually pejorative things around Dil Mulvaney, their former, former brand ambassador, failed brand ambassador, I would say. And there'd be more explicit pictures. So I understand if you're going to censor an explicit picture or a cartoon that's not appropriate for children to see. Or, I could kind of get that, but now they're just banning just pictures of their competitors. And as we see their sales precipitously drop more and more and more, I think they're going to increase and ramp this up because they're, they think they're going to get positive responses or they, they, they think they're going to have more sales increasing. If people just see the Twitter and go, oh yeah, there's not so many people making fun of them, but like the boycott must be over. No. Again, be statistical, always look at the week over week sales figures. And again, they're not good. Again, it's usually between 26 and 30% decline of sales compared to the same fiscal week last fiscal year. They're not getting better anytime soon, no matter how much they keep pushing this out. And now that it's the sports ball season, I believe the college football and all that kind of stuff going, Traditionally, it would be their Super Bowl time of the year, which ironically, of course, yes, the Super Bowl as well. But I don't think you're gonna have that big sales increase that they're hoping for. But that's just my two cents. It used to be three cents, but 
Actually, no, it used to be two cents. It has to be three cents now. It's 40 year hyperinflation. Should charge four cents, but just going to do three. Though it is still free to click that subscribe button, try to get to 4,000 by the end of September. I was going to say it's a tall order, but I think we can do it together. Other interesting cultural news you have Vivek Ramaswamy on how to fix crime. Now, this is something he tweeted actually just yesterday. And actually, no, this morning, I digress. I already got, then how many hours is that? Four hours, it got 126,000 views. It's pretty darn good. And 2,344 likes. So needless to say, doing quite good. And he is on Fox News. It's about a minute long, but it is going more and more popular. So I'm gonna play that really quick. Vivek, a lot of this is due to lenient policies put in place by local Democratic leaders. We know that. What could be done at the national level? So look, I think we can stop subsidizing these bad behaviors at the local level, Brian. I don't think localities should get money blocked. <laughs> of course, the example that they used in the picture, you know, they got picture in picture on Fox News. They got the split screen with the two talking heads, which again, how cliche is that Fox News? But the picture that they have showing crime is of course, San Francisco, where you get what you vote for. California actually voted to basically decriminalize all theft up to $950. That used to be a felony. Which again, when you're going to court, there's certain there's certain consequences for certain classifications of the crime. Instead of that being a felony, they made it a misdemeanor, so it's even lower. And when you go to court and you're dealing against the government, they usually plea it down. You know, they'll come at you with a lower offer. So, and I guess you also have all those district attorneys that don't actually prosecute crime. So, is basically the basically a lawless hellscape hellscape of San Francisco with every retailer leaving that you could possibly fathom, and headquarters also leaving the state in droves grants from the federal government unless they're allowing cops to do their jobs we know how to address crime in this country more cops on the street literally on the street without being able to look over their shoulder fear of being sued that's thing number one and uh, so not to so i'll have to disagree with Vivek in regards to they have qualified immunity so they can't be personally sued that's that's a big point of contention when people debate about police accountability and the legalities of them not having consequences and the pejorative joke where if a police makes a mistake, they just get a paid vacation, which I would say isn't just police. It's pretty much every public sector job, especially the, all those union members are quite protected. Thing number two is bring back mental health institutions. We have a mental health epidemic across this country. Over the same period that we saw the closure of mental health institutions, we've seen a spike in violent crime in this country. That doesn't mean drugging up a bunch of people with Zoloft and Seroquel. It actually means restoring purpose, faith-based approaches and otherwise. Right. But those are politically incorrect discussions right now. Cops doing their jobs in mental health institutions, I say bring both of those things back. That's how we address violent crime. I agree. Now, the issue is common. Who's defining mental illness? I mean, you had the FBI say, if you're a concerned parent going to a school board, you're a terrorist. That's not a joke. It actually happened in America, as crazy as that once might seem. Now, in terms of statistics on the videos, it got $110,000, I was going to say, 110,000 views in the first three hours being posted, 2,075 likes, giving it a 1.89% like ratio, not too bad. Now, the top two responses were, quote, make two-parent homes great again. I got 1,533 views and 27 likes, which, pretty good statement. That's 1.76% like ratio. And then, some by the name of Rumpelstiltskin Gold, which, again, I'll never be able to spell. It's one of those funny names. says, quote, you're the wrecking ball we need, unquote. I got 1,543 views and 39 likes, giving it a 2.53% like ratio. Now, when it comes to actually beating crime or, you know, getting tough on crime, 
it's going to have to be a multifaceted approach. You also have to think about the community and the cultural changes you need in community to actually make changes. So it's going to be there are a lot of levers you're going to have to pull in order to actually turn the trend around for these cities. But in terms of a presidential, I don't know how much a president can do in terms of turning cities around. I mean, you look at Chicago, we've, I mean, throughout the years, we've had Republican presidents and we've had Democrat presidents. And I don't know how much you can do on the federal level. It's never been able to fix Chicago. They've been democratically governed with their mayor for 90, 93 years now. And the crime's never gotten better. It's only gotten worse. So I would say it's a cultural issue as well as a political issue. They don't, of course, they don't actually enforce the law over there or know the constitution. But let me in the comments, what do you think is the best way to combat crime in the United States? Certainly, you could perhaps change some laws federally to combat the ones in California where they allow theft to be rampant with that, with that last, I forgot the proper number, but they voted on the proposition for them to basically decriminalize, basically, if the theft is under $950. Perhaps you can change, you'd have a statewide or a countrywide law if it's over a certain dollar amount, you'd be prosecuted. I mean, it'll be interesting to see, but you're gonna need to work with, the, as cliche as it sounds, you have to work with the community you have to reinforce the concept that two-parent households are one of the most important things in society and one of the greatest mechanisms for helping someone have the best odds of success in life. Can't help but notice a lot of these issues when you have crime, you have some of these most morally deplorable people with all the disgusting, everything, most morally vacuous things I could think of when you think about everything from theft to murder. A lot of, I can't help but notice a lot of them are coming from broken families because from a culturally and politically speaking, it's actually encouraged that. There are actually more incentives for single parent homes than dual parent homes in the United States in many cases. That is something I think a president could change in terms of the welfare and the mechanisms for that, where you're currently actually reinforcing that you're paying single moms and you're encouraging the act because there's a fiscal incentive behind it. So there are, now that I think, the more I think about it, there are a couple of things you can do politically I think you're going to have to have a cultural as well as a political amalgamation come together to truly fix some of these shitties. I mean, cities, because they've been in trouble for a long time. So it'll be interesting to see if they're actually able to fix them. I don't know, but after you look at Chicago, after a hundred years, I, I can't help but think the magic eight ball, unfortunately would say outlook is not so good, but hopefully it will get better. Hopefully. Other interesting cultural news, you have a 12-year-old beating a tyrannical school, getting 12 million views in two days. He had the audacity to be a patriot and wear the Gadsden flag on his backpack. Now, this takes place in Colorado, and by actually, Connor, an honorable student, got called into the, into the office to talk to the teachers, and his parents got called to the school because he had a flag. Now, this would never happen if it was a... LGBT flag. Those are in the classrooms. Those society is okay with, apparently. But having the Gadsden flag, which again has rich historical roots, that is what gets you in trouble in the United States. Being patriotic these days is what gets you in trouble. Which is pretty. In terms of public schools, I'm not surprised. It's also the same places where they only say the Pledge of Allegiance. They even have American flags in some of these public schools. They have the other flags, but not American flags, interestingly enough. So thankfully, this mother recorded this conversation so you can actually hear these morons. I mean, school, uh, public sector, address the situation. Oh, thank you. And I can't help but, 
you can't help but think you get, the kid's definitely conservative because I would guess because he's got a clean haircut, he's got a button-up shirt, a button-up long sleeve shirt, it's a dress shirt, got clean jeans, he's got a nice brown leather belt, and he's got the best shoes on the planet, New Balance. I think I'm on my 17th or 18th pair of the New Balance 990s. Phenomenal, made in America, as I was about to say, they all should. Very, very, very few are. That's kind of one of the unique things about them. But without further ado, play the video. Now what the Gadsden flag is, but it's a historical flag. So there, um, the reason that they do not want the flag, the reason they do not want the flag displayed, is due to its origins with the slavery and slave trade. Now, of course, as you would guess, the teacher is a radical leftist, as we'll show with evidence later in the video as well. But that symbol has nothing to do with that flag has nothing to do with any racist connotations. It literally says, "Don't tread on me." And the same people who are so this is this has nothing to do with racism. But the same people who say you should erase everything modern that has anything to do with anything old that was bad. Well, what about Planned Parenthood? That was started by a eugenicist who was racist against the African-American community. She put Margaret, uh, was it Margaret? What was that gal's name? The founder of Planned Parenthood put those institutions in poor black communities intentionally. She was horribly racist, but they still love that institution regardless of his dark, morally vacuous past. Interesting. That's the reasoning behind them, no, The Gadsden blood. The don't tread on me, okay. which is the message. Okay. Um, this Remember, they would never do this to someone with a pride flag, or was anyone called the progress flag? No, they would be. That person would be a hero if they would have that on their on their backpack. It's got fat on it because we can't have that in and around other kids. So that's what I was trying, and then he said you were close. So I was like, oh. Okay. Yeah, it has nothing to do with slavery. That's like the Revolutionary War patch that was okay. displayed when they were fighting the British. Like that. A was, plus. That's the revolution. Maybe you're a plus to this patriotic parent who actually knows the historical provenance behind that flag. Oh, it's one of those things where facts and logic kind of just wash over some people. And this teacher, I, I say teacher because in title only, I highly doubt she actually teaches anything besides political ideology. She's just sitting there with a blank stare. Just the, the facts and logic just wash off her like deodorant, probably. Ah, just following orders, a cliche as old as time. By the district. And definitely you have every right to not agree with it. I mean, yeah, I'm yeah, absolutely. He says that he's allowed to wear that. If you like go on their website, it's like says in big. So Mama Bear's rocking. She did some research. I, all, I, all I'm saying is that unless there's like a ban on patches, period, like if you said there's no patches allowed at the school, you cannot display what you think or anything. Uh, the resting bitch face, or the RBF, 
of this morally vacuous teacher is ooh, highly disturbing. I don't. I think it's like one-sided, you know, because it always is. You allow some patches, but not other, other patches. Have patches like, other names, like American flag. Yeah. That was like Following orders. No, no, she just wants to bully this kid because he's different. This is seriously yes. studies. He does, he wants to get straight A's. He did that. He made audible when he was here before. Yep. He intends to do that again right now, but it's hard because he keeps missing class for this. So I understand that. Yeah, and I mean we teach him to always stick up for your beliefs and. I mean, you're going over the revolution this for seventh grade. I mean, the founding fathers stood up for what they believed in against unjust laws. This is unjust. Okay. I, like I said, we're upholding a policy that was provided to us, which we have to uphold. Okay. Can you show me where the policy? Mama Bear did some research, came guns loaded. Now, Connor Boyack did a great coverage of this issue. He said, quote, they say the USEEOC, which admitted that the flag, quote, originated in the Revolutionary War in his non-racial and war in a non-racial context. But then, quote, however, however, whatever the origins and meanings of the symbol, it has also been seen sometimes interpreted to convey radically, radically, like, convey radically entangled messages. And say, Mr. Rodriguez, as discussed, I'll provide you the rationale for determining the Gadsden flag is considered an undeceptible symbol. First case when the EEOC required the complaint to be reviewed. Now, the director then argued that the flag is associated with, quote, hate groups, linking the, this weak article that cites a, quote, graphic design scholar who claimed that some may see the Gadsden flag as a symbol of intolerance or hate or even racism. Now, he actually, the kid actually had the idea of going to NBC, which is a local affiliate, which used to actually care about news and, you know, actually helping the communities out, giving a voice to folks. And, of course, they declined an interview because it goes against the narrative. Now, Connor Boyk says, see what rule he was actually breaking. According to the director, this is the one. And it's the one that, quote, refers to drugs, tobacco, alcohol, or weapons. But none of those things are on the flag. And... It looks like Jeff Yukum is the, looks like he's the director. And let me see here. It looks like he said the day later we won. Yesterday the student returned the patch, returned with the patch still visible on his backpack following the director's, the district's direction. Vanguard administrators pulled the student aside so that they could speak with the parents of the district. Upon learning of these events today, the Vanguard school board of directors called for an emergency meeting from Vanguard's founding and have proudly supported our Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the and the ordered liberty for all Americans have enjoyed for 250 years. The Vanguard School recognizes the historical significance of the Gadsden flag and its place in history. This incident is 
an occasion for us to reaffirm our deep commitment to classical education and support the American principles. At this time, the school, the Vanguard School Board and the district have informed the student's family that he may attend school with the Addison flag on his backpack. So a rare win for freedom of speech as well as patriots. A flag that shouldn't offend anyone. And it is somewhat refreshing to see most of the comments all overwhelmingly positive. Everyone's saying, you know, good for kid for standing up what he believes in. Good for him. What is this? No one saying, you know, kudos to him. I hope they sue the school into oblivion. Now, interestingly enough, he also, the student stopped. And it was a perfect meme where he actually goes outside. And he goes and looks at the teacher's car. And of course, it's a Mitsubishi POS. And it is covered with leftist bumper stickers. And you shouldn't be too surprised. The people who cry out for the most censorship are usually the most morally and intelligently or morally vacuous and mentally vacuous of all society. The only way their ideals can brew to the surface is for them to get rid of the competition. For them to literally shut down all opposition or all thought at all, really. So it is refreshing to see him win this. And I hope we see more instances where people actually know how to read a damn history book, which, again, I know public schools are at an all-time low for math scores, science scores, history scores. So I hope, hopefully those improve without the years, but this is yet, again, reason 9,558,223 to not have your kid in public school. They, will all, they seem to always discriminate in one direction. And I don't see them getting better anytime soon. They spend more in public school every single year but the test scores go down every single year. And they're not, at this point, they're nothing more in many cases, not all, but to be an indoctrinational vessel for the schools to pump their ideas into them, which are usually all morally, mentally vacuous, to say the least. Telling them they need a bigger government, telling them they need to go to college to be successful, which is, you know, teachers supporting teachers. And no, I know more successful millionaires who don't even have a high school diploma than people who went to college and are still paying off debts. Needless to say, I'm glad he's able to get this hammered out, but perhaps he is a good example of too cool for school because, well, the bar for her intelligence, the teacher is really almost so low it's almost underground, but he actually has more of a better common grasp on American history and integrity than she ever will. But I always say, time shall tell. Now, other interesting cultural news, you have Bud Light College football tweet gets basically no like or support. Well, they do from one group of people. Now, these statistics are all taken within 24 hours of the post, and you had the original tweet where it was all these Bud Light cans, and I, it, it, I'm so disappointed. My college is actually on the picture. So, damn it, Iowa. They have the logo on the can. So they got... Bud Light cans as well as Bud Light aluminum bottles with college logos on them. Because they think Americans are so dumb that if they just see a logo they like plastered on a bottle or a can, they'll buy the pond water because of that emotional association they have with the good times they had in college. Which, again, this is what Bud Light should have been doing months ago, not hiring Dylan Mulvaney to destroy $28 billion in stock valuation and $400 million in sales just gone. So, again... People are seeing these images and they just know it's not authentic. You showed your true colors. We know you're just trying to pander us. And we also know you're trying to just buy your way out of the problem. They said publicly they're going to spend more money on marketing this year than ever before. 
because they know how much they messed up. They won't admit it. They won't give an apology, but they want to get your love back somehow. Like a, like a bad wife or a bad husband who made a mistake, but they won't admit it. But they come home with some flowers or a crappy Cuban, what was it, uh, Cuban zirconic or a crappy piece of carbon, also known as a diamond, which is also useless. Unless it's on a drill tip or a saw blade. Remember, that, that market is completely artificially controlled. It's just a useless piece of carbon. But nevertheless, it looks like in 24 hours, the post got 73,700 views. And today they got 286 likes. Give them a ratio of 0.38%. Now, the most popular responses, which of course they're all negative. Now, one of the most popular ones, a gif of the Dr. Evil from Austin Powers with a little cliche. And he was saying, how, I guess I could try to, I could try that impression. Is how about, how about no? Eh, not as bad as my Trump's one, perhaps. Now, that got 2,816 views and 90 likes, giving them a ratio of 3.2%. So, quite more popular. Now, you also have somebody by the name of Twizzler, and they say, quote, the Budweiser Tea Party, unquote, and it has the founding fathers throwing, instead of tea, they're throwing off cases of Bud Light into the harbor. That one got 341 views and 34 likes. Not too bad, that's a 9.97% like ratio, which is pretty damn good. Now, interestingly enough, of course they're ramping up their censorship more and more, because I'd say 20% of responses, I just see an error that says, this response was hidden by the original post author. More and more. And again, the one or two positive ones aren't from real people. They're from sh either a computer program or a shill. I look at them and this one, we have a gal by the name of DD, her handle is TGRDD. And she said, are you guys Missouri Tiger cans available in Kansas City? And if you click on her profile, everything is just a repost. And interestingly enough, same with the other one, Mr. John B. It's all repost. He's reposting Wordle, which is a stupid game I never got into. And, but interestingly enough, they do seem to all fall on the same political spectrum. So this seemed to resonate with people who are politically on the left side of political aisle or Democrats. You look at these reposts, they're reposting either businesses that they shill or pejorative things about the Republican candidates. Or, former, or the former, well, I guess Trump is also a Republican candidate, the former president, Donald Trump. They're all pejorative memes about them. So the only people right now, again, this is the small sample size, I'm not saying everyone who likes Bud Light, all 18 of them, but the people who are having positive responses to the Bud Light, all they're doing, they're just people who repost and they're all leftist. Like, all of the responses. So, Again, I don't know what the demographics were for the original Bud Light sales, like, you know, who bought them politically speaking. I, I would guess or venture to say more people on the right of the political aisle, but it seems as though the few positive responses they're getting are off on the left. So maybe they'll lean into that and try to get more of the sales on that side of the political aisle. Because truth be told, they got to do something different because obviously what they're doing is just utterly failing. But... I don't know, as far as my three cents, I mean, it used to be two cents, but it is still free to click that subscribe button. I don't see Bud Light pulling out this 
tailspin or this nosedive, whatever airplane metaphor you prefer, but they're just censoring more and more and more. And everyone's starting to see it because you could see they hide all these comments. Even the people who just posted just a picture of the competitor beer, even those guys are getting censored, including myself. So people know it's not an authentic post because they're just censoring most of the opposition. And again, the people who are posting a positive response, they're not getting any likes hardly. So it's, it's literally like this guy said, let's get it. He had no likes, none, goose egg. Even though 2,570 people saw his positive response to the Bud Light tweet, another one, the John B. He said, that's so cool. I got to collect them all. Go, bud. Which, again, how sounds like a drone. That got 2,810 views. Zero likes. And that gal, I was talking about DD asking, are the Missouri Tiger cans available in Kansas City? She got 4,241 views. So 4,241 people saw it. Zero people liked it. So the few positive responses that are starting to creep up to the surface, they're, they're hardly not popular at all. I see, yeah, another one says LSU Bud Light for me. They got three view, three positives. And there's one, I'm going to say, I got to investigate this profile. A Greg L. Simmons posted a picture of a Bud Light in front of a Kansas, what do you call it? A can, wait a minute. In front of a Kansas university. And I count old Bud, old Bud fan. And his profile, let's see. Repost, 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 repost. He's got to work at the school. Everything associated with his account has that little stupid eagle or bird or whatever it is. Kansas, or Jayhawk. So yeah, Greg L. Simmons. And he, he did get 61 likes. I He's got to work there or something. So I don't know. It seems like the only people that have any positive responses or are really involved are people who work there or the football fans, but really hardly anyone's gravitating towards their view. So needless to say, I don't think the Bud Light boycott is letting up anytime soon, even as they try to censor more and more and they try to plaster their logo on football teams from colleges. Needless to say, I don't think the sports ball season will be good for Bud Light. Other interesting cultural news, you have Nikki Haley ratioed on her Twitter war stance. Now, she is a former UN ambassador and presidential nominee for Republican Party. And this is in regard to her, this is the text that she has. She says, make no mistake, comma, Vivek's foreign policy will make America less safe. Now, I, I don't see how having, again, it is a debate to have in terms of political ideology, whether you're more interventionalist or isolationist, isolationist being more building up your own army on your own land and defending your borders, where, you know, intervening as you're going to other countries, intervening. It's certainly a debate to be had, but I don't know how bolstering our borders and that, that concept would make us less safe. Now, this is her video response. And of course it was ratioed in minutes. I mean, look, he has shown that he's naive. The idea that he doesn't think we need to continue to partner with Israel, the idea that now he's saying that we shouldn't worry about Iran getting a nuclear bomb and we shouldn't defend ourselves against Iran. And no one. He didn't say that. And actually, if you're watching the whole episode, 
in the clip where we actually watch Vivek's response, he says he's adamant about Iran not getting nuclear capabilities. So it's definitely a disconnect or a lie somewhere. Understands that, and it's naive to say, "Oh, we're going to go to Russia and tell them you quit playing with China." Um, it, it's just not accurate. And I don't know how it's not. The whole Ukraine-Russia uh, situation could be easily solved if we had a president of the United States with a little vigor. You simply just go to Ukraine and say, "Hey, we've given you over a hundred billion dollars in cash, weapons, and other miscellaneous crap that we send them. You're not getting any more." You're going to go to the table, negotiate with Russia. Russia, you want these sanctions to stop, right? You want to get back in the global economy? You guys are both going to concede a little bit, give up a little both sides, and you're going to stop killing each other. If you stop the fueling the war, it would naturally peter out. And if you give them an incentive to actually negotiate, they would. Right now, the whole world is giving Ukraine resources. They're getting weapons from every conceivable country on the planet. They basically have an unlimited resources. If you ever play the game Risk, which is... or Age of Empires, both really great games. It's all about re resource allocation is a huge component of it. Age of Empires 2 in particular, good old game from my college days or high school. And if you run out of resources, you can't go to war. So if you go, again, the US is giving some of the most resources, again, over $100 billion. If we say, hey, we're decreasing our spend, we're gonna cut you off. We're telling you, go to the table and negotiate. Because Russia wants a way out of this too. There's no country I was gonna say no country. We've done that throughout the years. Unfortunately, you can't really have a never ending war. You run out of resources. You run out of public support. You run out of soldiers. Like, this one of those things where it can't go on indefinitely. But nevertheless, nevertheless I'll, like, I'll get back to uh, Nikki Haley. Which again, Nikki with N-I-K-K-I, can't even spell her own name right. I mean, that's almost as ridiculous as having someone named Topping. Oh wait, I digress. And I'm always going to take the side of Israel. I'm always going to take the side of us being strong when it comes against, you know, a terrorist group that says death to America. He's completely wrong on this. And the American people see that. I mean, look. I, again, he said he supports Israel. He said he's wanted to decrease funding to them and have it be more of a collaboration. Now, again, some people, depending on who you ask politically, some people say we just give them resources and give them great military tech. We also gain a lot of tech from Israel. One of the best defense contractors on the planet is it goes by the name of Elbit Systems and IWI. Elbit Systems makes some of the best aerospace components as well as actually aerospace and land ground air vehicles in the industry. The Elbit Systems makes the $400,000 helmet for the F-35 Lightning II. That is a huge technological breakthrough. Now that cost may seem expensive. That includes the cost of research and development as well as the actual materials cost. But it's a revolutionary idea where you have this helmet on and traditionally if you have a jet fighter, you see it in front of you and that's all you see. With this helmet on, you look down, you can actually see the ground below you. It's a full immersive experience. So no matter where you look, you're not seeing your feet. You're actually seeing, it's almost as if you're seeing through the airplane. That's a first uh, commercial product that I can think of. And it's revolutionary. It's because our countries are sharing some of this tech. They're bidding on some of our military contracts. We're helping their military out. So. There is a mutually beneficial relationship. I think the, the debate comes in, how much, fiscally speaking, do you give to each other? But again, that's, that's not what Vivek said. Now, it looks like, of course, she was ratioed in you know seconds. Now, the top responses, one said, and again, you, you almost can't make this up. One of the top responses was from a gentleman, and again, so the video herself, so her, her video got 
156,000 views. And all these statistics were taken at the 24 hour mark, so 24, hour, 24 hours after she published it. 156,000 views. And again, that's not great compared to the competitors. You have DeSantis as well as Vivek and Trump. Oh, Trump not so much on, well, Trump actually broke Twitter, almost getting 200 million views. But most of the candidates are getting a couple hundred thousand to a million, depending on what the subject matter is. But she had 156,000 views and 2,235 likes. So if we pull up the good old calculator application on the computer here, you'll do a little division here. We get 156. That's one, oh, come on now, carry the one, 1.42% like ratio, which it's not great. Now, the top responses to her statement in her video were one by the name of Adam or Roland Adam. He says, quote, I'm, I'm voting against forever wars. Sorry, Nikki, unquote. He got 930 views, but he got 49 likes, giving him a ratio of 5.26%. Pretty good. Now, Another one says, this is from a Twitter handle by the name of Awakening. He said, quote, you're a liar, Nikki. Vivek never said it, unquote. That got 1,224 views and 28 likes, 2.29% ratio. Not so, not so bad. And as I scroll through the rest of the comments and I'm looking through them, I don't, I'm not seeing a lot of positive ones. One of them is from Brandon Brown. He says, I think Vivek has a good chance of becoming president. 36 likes out of 1,029 views. Another one says, stop funding the Ukraine war. 27 likes, 793 views. Uh, I don't see... Um, uh, let's see. You say you're going to take the side of Israel. When are you going to take the side of America first? That got 81 likes out of 1,468 views. Another one just says, uh, no, I don't think so. I got two likes, uh, a couple hundred views. Another one just says, uh, a, a couple laugh out louds. Another one says, this is some real, real Phil Jones, which pretty good profile. I didn't know you could put emojis in your name. He's got an eagle, bald eagle there, an American flag. That's, that's as American as you can get, although he's missing an era 15. Now he says, quote, at least he isn't a warmonger. And he got 22 likes out of 259 views. So, and another one just says, he's a great guy. Another one says, get a life, you're lying and obsessing about this guy. And oh, oh, let's see. I was about to say that was Vivek. It's, it's a parody account of Vivek talking about some of this. I, you didn't read the memo. Now, I did see one, like two positive responses. And one is just a person trying to get an interview with Nikki Haley. So needless to say, she was ratioed immediately. And interestingly enough, the attacks aren't really working. In terms of the move on the moves on the political chessboard, you see some candidates who are having a lot of success or personal success in terms, not you know, overall in the polls, but it is a common political tactic to attack your opponents. It's one of the most fascinating things. Also, if you look at just you know reviews of restaurants and stuff. Negative news does spread more quickly than positive ones. And you have Chris Christie, his whole campaign is, I'm not Trump, I don't like Trump, Trump is evil. Chris Christie, statistically, he's not gonna get the nomination, but he's gotten, I would say, not an insignificant amount of support. I think he's like 5% in the polls, but his whole message is, he's not Trump, he hates Trump. He's attacking Trump. He, he in terms of political chessboard, he's getting the mark, well, I guess, he's getting the pawns or the, the people who will never, the never Trumpers, 
his target audience is them. He's appealing to that group of people. He's going to get those votes for the preliminary for the primary. Now, will that be? An, I don't think that's enough for him to actually get the nomination, but that is his approach, and he is gaining votes based on that approach. But well, in this case, you're you know it's all preliminary polls, but I don't see. Nick, this is not help, helping Nikki Haley at the moment. I, I think she just she needs a different approach. But right now, and again, there are some people who are becoming more skeptical of Vivek. A lot of people on the far right are don't like him for a myriad of reasons. Unfortunately, um, some idiotic. Of course, you always have the one or two racists everywhere on the far left and far left on far right. But uh, there's a lot of people uh, also comparing Vivek to Obama in some ways, coming out of nowhere. So it'll be interesting to see what the support looks like going forward, but this plan right now doesn't seem to be working in Nikki's Nikki's favor. And it'll be interesting to see how much support can she get for the primary? Is she, like a lot of people, is she probably just running just to become a VP? But it'll be interesting to see. And interesting, this is a debate in the Republican Party. Are they, and it's not, you know, it's not all one or the other, but are they more pro, are they more pro-war or pro-peace? That used to be a big debate between Republicans and Democrats. Interestingly enough, Democrats past couple of years have been very much pro, more pro-war. Most of the Republicans have. I think Trump is the first one to actually scale back military involvement. The first time in my life, actually. Um, I mean, every other president had increased the war. But it'll be interesting to see as this debate continues, where does the United States fall in terms of isolationism or more interventionalism? It'll be interesting to see, but as I always say, time shall tell. Going on to the political part of the podcast, you have Biden submitting a proposal to red to raise red federal wages by 5.2%, which would be the highest since Carter, which is ridiculous. You used to get a proposal, you used to be able to get a raise by doing a good job, or if you just work in the government, you just work there for a certain amount of time and you just get paid a lot of money to do very little. One of the most inefficient forms of anything on the planet is the government. Now, this is a quote. I was about to say it's a quote from Biden. More likely, it's a quote from Karine Jean-Pierre, the press secretary. I say that partially as a joke, partially serious, because she's gotten caught multiple times tweeting, and it was actually supposed to be Biden. So she tweeted something where she said, I fixed the economy, I did all this. And it's like, oh yeah, you, you, you done messed up, as some might say. So realistically, let's say this is from uh, Karine Jean-Pierre saying, quote, specifically, I've determined that for 2024, the across the board pay raises will be 4.7 will be 4.7 percent and local and locally pay increases will average 0.5 percent resulting in overall in overall increase of 5.2 percent for all federal employees consistent with the assumption of my 2024 budget now this is apparently in letters that apparently biden wrote to kevin mccarthy as well as the vp uh kamal harris now if this isn't blocked or altered by congress through the appropriations process, the pay raise would be the largest since 1981 when President Jimmy Carter authorized a 9.1% raise during the period of high inflation. Jesus. 9.1%? Great way to cause more inflation, too. Now, this is actually coming after the White House the press secretary. They're all telling us inflation isn't a thing. Isn't it? Don't, don't worry about it. It's not that bad. And yet, why do you want this huge raise? Again, for what merit? Merit used, merit used to be a beautiful thing in America where people get paid based on what they, you know, what they actually created or did. Well, still kind of is in the private sector, but, well, with the exception of unions. But, yeah, we've been told, you know, inflation isn't a big deal. It's not that bad. If, if anything, every month is getting better. That's, that's what we're told. 
But then, why do you want this astronomical huge pay raise? Is beyond me. Now, hopefully, again, my hope is so little when it comes to Republicans and Democrats actually doing something for the American people. Yeah, I doubt they're actually going to get off their keister and do something like try to block this huge. Because again, it's just going to cost us more taxpayer dollars, cause our country to more, go even more in debt. I mean, the United States is so fiscally irresponsible, you almost can't make it up. And Republicans do the same thing when they're in office. They spend a lot. Democrats, they spend even more. So what's the U.S. debt clock up to? And it's also because most of them don't have spines or backbones. None of them are actually brave enough to say, hey, we need to talk about the entitlement programs in the United States because they're bankrupting us. But they know that's you'll, you'll lose votes because, again, people want free stuff. So if you say we're going to take away your free stuff, yeah, they're not going to vote for you. It's up to... $32 trillion, dear God, 32, well, it's 32.8. And it's actually, yeah, it's usdebtclock.org. It's also kind of depressing to see because of course it just, no matter what, it just goes up exponentially. So the debt per citizen in the United States is $97,000, oh, $97,839. Jesus, debt per, the debt per taxpayer, because again, that includes kids, $253,669. Ridiculous. Well, give me a politician to actually attack this issue. Do we need, again, the statistics are against it, but do we need a libertarian candidate? Like, let me, let me know in the comments. Is this concerning to anyone? Because eventually the bill will come due. The levy will break, so to say. And it'll be interesting to see, hopefully they say no to this astronomical raise, because again, it's just going to make the fiscal... It's going to make everything worth worse, physically speaking. Let me, let me know in the comments. Do you think there's anyone who has a modicum of courage or a spine in the, in the government right now that will vote against this? Let me know what you think. But I would say, according to the Magic 8-Ball, which many would say is just as intelligent as certain political leaders. I say that because the Magic 8-Ball is inanimate and it's just kind of random. Yeah, the metaphor's there. It would probably say Outlook is not so good. Other interesting political news, you have Mitch McConnell is medically clear, quote unquote. Now, this is after the 81-year-old gentleman actually got in front of a press conference and he froze. And it was quite awkward. He looked confused. And his, what's a nice word, what's a nice word of saying helper? His, his assistant actually had to, well, thankfully, they didn't, they didn't have to wheel him away. So he's not as bad as Feinstein yet. But they had to escort him out. And now this is coming from his doctor. He says, quote, Occasional lightheadedness is not uncommon in concussion recovery and can be expected as a result of dehydration. Now this is from Dr. Brian Mohanahan. And apparently he actually suffered a concussion in March after a fall, which again, the older you get, the worse that is. And Jesus, this is, he actually had Biden say that McConnell sounded, quote, like his old self when he called him on the phone. Talk about the blind leading the blind. Now, I guess it is, it's somewhat nice to have, at times, have decorum between the political rivals where, you know, you're, they have these kinds of pleasantries, but to say he's medically clear, I don't know how realistic that is. Again, he's 81 years old. He, he's done some good things that I've liked over the years, but overall he's been kind of a lackluster politician. And 
I mean, will these people ever willingly step down? I mean, he's 81. He's still going. And someone, they actually did ask him last week when he froze in the conference. They asked him, hey, um, are you going to run for election in 2026? Which I, I don't see how he's going to make it that long. He's having trouble now. I, I don't see how it's going to get any better. And then you have Diane Feinstein, who's 91 years old. She doesn't know where she is. She literally came out of session one day and a reporter went up and asked, yeah, how, how was your three month uh, health vacation or you know, fancy leave of absence? And she goes, what do you mean? I've, all, I've been here the whole time. No, 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 you have not. You, you've been somewhere else. And then they, she actually came out of another session. She goes, did I vote on that? Now, granted, that also is probably the average intelligence level of many people in politics where they know what they're voting for because they don't read anything anymore. Another thing I don't like agree with is omnibus packages where it's, you know, a bill of 58 million bills where you basically just have to you know, vote yay or nay. But besides the point, she doesn't even have power of turning over herself anymore. Her daughter does. So Diane Feinstein is 91 years old. She can barely, she can't walk. She's being wheelchaired around by Pelosi's daughter, I think. Another conspiracy theory, but interesting. But she doesn't have the legal authority to make her own decisions about her life. Her daughter does. Her daughter has the power of attorney. So she can't make decisions for her own life, but she can make the decisions for about 400 million Americans? What? That, how does that make any sense? But they won't give up power. And again, as you can see, Mitch McConnell is a Republican. He's on the right. This is an issue on both sides of the political aisle. Now, unfortunately, it's an old cliche of, you know, people who seek power will rarely ever willingly give it up. But I don't know how greedy they have to be for power or their family members have pushed them towards it, but I mean, they should be enjoying their, I was about to say their golden years, but the, I don't know how many years they have left. They should be re, enjoying it on the beach or know, go to Florida, apparently, and just spending time with their grandkids. But instead, they're just holding on to that power. It almost looks like a death grip. Let me know in the comments. Do you think we need term limits? What's the solution? I don't know what's going to be because if you have cognitive tests, then it's going to be you'll have people making the tests so that they're skewed against their political opponents. I'm... That's, so that's my speculation, or my concern, rather, around if you were to have some type of cognitive test, you'll just make the test to fit your needs. I don't know what the solution is. I think term limits are. They've, there's been a couple of politicians throughout the years suggest it and bring it up for vote. Uh, Ted Cruz has in the past. But again, kind of like the insider trading thing where politicians are allowed to do insider trading. If a CEO does it or if I do it, go to jail, of course. But... When you're like when you're the government and you regulate yourself, there's very little incentive to actually do the right thing, unfortunately. So I don't see all getting better anytime soon, but as I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting political news, you have the United Auto Workers filing an unfair labor practice against the National Relations Board. Uh, as a wise man on the street once told me, gangs protect gangs. Unquote. Now, I should also clarify, I believe everyone has the right to be a part of a union. I would never do that. I respect that. I would never break up a union at my companies or anything. I always want that. But you actually have to clarify every joke you make about these institutions because they'll investigate your company if you make a joke about them. Yeah, I'm, it's something that happened to the Daily Wire, actually, Ben Shapiro, the co-owner. Now, the United Auto Workers, they specifically, their union has filed an unfair labor practice against General Motors and Stellantis. Now, Stellantis is the parent company behind Chrysler, which also owns Jeep. And Stellantis also owns a bunch of other brands in Europe. They... They actually bought the company out because the unions bankrupt them back in 2009. So it's not even, many would argue it's no longer American. Also the Chargers made in Canada. 
Canadian muscle just doesn't have the right same appeal. Same with the Camaro. About 53% of GM cars are actually made in America. I digress for now. Now, it looks like last Thursday, the filings followed the companies not responding to the union's demands in a timely manner. The most ironic thing on the planet, unions who get paid to take the longest amount of time to complete a task and to just work there, not the results, they just get paid to, to have a tenure. They're complaining that GM is taking too long to do something. That is the prime example of the pot calling the kettle black. Now, in a letter, they say, quote, GM and, GM and Stellantis will, willful refusal to bargain in good faith is not only insulting and counterproductive, it's also illegal. The, who is this? That this president Fain said during a Facebook Live. That's why today our union filed an unfair labor practice charges or ULPS against both GM and Stellantis with the National Labor Relations Board. Now, Stellantis did reply in a filing. They said, quote, this is from Stellantis. This is, a, this is a claim with no basis in fact, and we are disappointed to learn that Mr. Fain is more focused on filing frivolous legal charges than actually bargaining. Now, quote, also emailed a separate statement saying, quote, we will vigorously defend this charge when the time comes, but right now we are more focused on continuing to bargain in good faith for a new agreement. We will not follow Mr. Fain's tactic to distract us from the important work to secure the future for our employees, unquote. Which again, when it comes to the outlook of American automotive companies, I would say the outlook is not good. Again, these unions are kneecapping them at the most inopportune time. A good metaphor for what they do in general. But these companies need to transform right now. Now, again, I'm not a fan of the EV technology in terms of, I when I think of, you know, what's best for families, I think, well, probably a car that lasts a quarter of a century and a million miles. If you want that, you're gonna buy a Toyota or a Honda with an eternal combustion engine. That's easy repair because you can go to a local shop. It's not locked in like technology devices that are EVs. Your local AutoZone can't do a repair for a nuanced piece of computer software or a nuanced thing on a Tesla. It's locked in. You got one choice to fix that vehicle. It's Tesla, just like an iPhone. Both engineered to be thin, sexy, look amazing, but at the end of the day, disposable. You won't remember them at the end of the time. And it's not a good return on investment. It's a terrible ROI. Show me a Tesla has been on the road for seven years with the original battery and the original motors. No, but internal combustion engine, absolutely. Now, a lot of these, and again, Throughout the years, during some of those pivotal times when they needed to actually transition to a new technology or become more agile, that's when the unions strike and hurt them the most. Back in the night, unions could exist in, I was going to say, some fashion in the 1950s. In the 1950s, the world had just ended from a war a couple years prior. The only country that really had the infrastructure to build vehicles on a mass scale was the United States. Part of the benefit of not having a... Um, any complex on our own home mainland. So during that time, you had Chrysler, Ford, General Motors, they thrived. Chrysler did great, GM did great, Ford did great. Detroit was the richest city on the planet at one point. And because there's very little competition, they could afford to have really great profit margins. And the unions, like, um, I'm trying to think of a good metaphor of someone who's absorbently greedy. They saw the big profit margins and they said, okay, well, we're gonna, we're gonna want everything. We, we, we want it all, we want it all. So huge pensions, huge medical coverage, huge salaries. Again, basing on, basing on tenure, not performance. And by the 1970s, they basically near bankrupt the company. And guess what came? Competition. The best, most reliable vehicles on the planet? It's no coincidence they're made by companies that don't have unions. Honda, Tesla, Toyota, 
Tesla, not so much with the, with the reliability, but the percentage of parts made in the USA, they're actually more American than GM or Ford, as well as Chrysler. But you have the most reliable cars on the planet. Honda, which also owns Acura, parent, or, you know, brand sharing. Well, you know what I mean. Fancy luxury brand, new logo. But Honda and Toyota, they don't have unions. That means there's less cost. And they also have a superior culture of Kaizen, where the culture of Toyota is to constantly improve. Like on the assembly line, the great metaphor for the two companies, contrasting GM to Toyota. On Toyota, when they have an assembly line and cars come down, every employee is empowered to actually stop. If they see something wrong with the vehicle, they stop. They fix it right there. Now, General Motors is the antithesis. It's kind of like McDonald's. If they see an issue, they just keep going along the assembly line. They might fix it or they might not at the end of the day. Just keep pushing it out. McDonald's it, which for many years that worked for GM because they were the largest producer by volume of units sold. But every year, the profit margin is getting more and more, getting thinner and thinner and thinner. Now, the unions right now see that GM is making a profit. So these, are, these companies are getting close to billions of profits. But all that money is being sucked back into R&D. It's being paying the company. And you have this economic uncertainty. People think the economy is going to crash. Michael Burberry, is it Burry or Burberry? I think Burberry is a douchey cosmetics thing. But Marshall, the guy who bet against the housing market and became rich beyond his wildest beliefs, he just bet against the S&P 500. So he's been right once in a big way. There's a lot of speculation. Will he be right again? I believe he put 1.2 or $1.5 billion against the S&P 500. So he is betting that the S&P 500 stocks, that all his companies will go down and that's where he would make more money. So if you're a company like GM or Ford, you're gonna want some cash in the bank because if there's hard times, you're gonna want emergency funds. Now also they're making lots of billions, but they're putting it back into the company. So you look at Ford, Ford Blue, that's the Ford everyone likes. Your traditional Ford, the F-150, the Mustang, the real one, with three pedals, manual transmission, a V8. That was the legacy Ford. You also have Ford Commercial, which is the commercial line of all the vehicles. You look at the F-350, 450, 550, the big monster trucks. And then the third division is Ford E, which is their EV division. Their EV division is losing billions, but the gas-powered company, the legacy Ford Blue, is making billions in profits. So they're moving those profits to the EV part of the company. And again, the theory is, like many technologies, over time, it will become profitable with their EV technologies. And there's a lot of setup costs. So the unions are demanding the most that they ever have. They want the pensions back, which again, is no longer competitive to be a thing. The only place pensions are really a thing is the public sector, which is the most corrupt practice where you have people in the public sector supporting politicians, politicians elected, and they get kickbacks in the form of nice juicy contracts and nice juicy raises. It's corrupt as all hell. Not enough people actually talk about that issue, but that can't exist in the private sector or the real world where you have to be fiscally responsible. So as these companies are competing and going against each other more and more, I can't help but think, again, it, one of the largest contributions to the big, to all these GM and Chrysler going bankrupt in 2009 were unions. Don't get me wrong. The executives were also greedy. I believe Ford one of the executives, they didn't get bailed off, but they came close. They got hundreds of millions of dollars in bonuses. They didn't look, I don't, think, I don't know anyone who agreed with that sentiment, unless you're paying them to buy them out of a contract to make them go away. But it's one of those instances where during the time where these companies need to be the leanest. I mean, GM, Mary Barra, she's very adamant. She wants to cut a couple billion dollars from their budget. They're buying people out of their contracts. So they're going to people who are salaried and they're saying, hey, we need to lay off a certain amount of people. Instead, we're asking people to volunteer and we'll buy them out of their contract. So they'll pay you for the field contract, then the contract ends, they leave. Kind of like being basically being paid to go away. 
GM is trying to cut every penny they can because they had to compete with Tesla, who has a huge lead on EV technologies. And GM in particular, Mary Barrow, the CEO, she said by 2030, Cadillac will be 100% EV. Is that a good idea? I don't personally think so, but that's where they're going to go. Personally, the best Cadillac is the CTS, I think it's a CT4, one of my buddies got. It's got a stick shift and a twin turbo V6. But again, GM likes to make something really good that kill it. And she wants GM as a whole brand to be 100% EV, EV by 2035. That's going to take billions of dollars, not just in research and development, but you're going to have to re-engineer your whole factories and build new factories and warehouses to facilitate the unique components and unique assemblies for EV vehicles. So I can't help but think, when you have the best competitors on the planet kicking your ass seven days a week, and their cars are going to be cheaper because on average, you look at the UAW fees, and again, one of my disdains is the UAW gives a lot to politicians. A lot of the money isn't going to the actual people in part of it as well. Also, if you're being forced to join anything, I kind of, it's kind of an antithesis of being an American. But during these precarious times, I don't think they're going to make it. The competition is heating up. And people, right now, Americans are hugely more price conscientious than they used to be because you can no longer get a 0% car loan. Those days are gone. They're used to be a time. They're gone for a while. But with record high rates for borrowing money these days, that's even less people buying a car. And when they are buying a car, in the rare instances, they're even more concerned about price. Because again, the American dollar is being stretched so thin. And again, I blame politicians left and right for ruining everything with inflation and myriad of other issues. But at the end of the day, Americans are struggling to make ends meet and new cars are getting more and more expensive. Another thing I don't like about EVs is they average, they cost more and they're just not a great ROI. They, they're disposable. And again, I'm not saying they'll always be that way. Technology moves quickly. There might be a new battery technology we, know, we know, might not know about today. It's going to come out tomorrow and change the whole game. That could very well happen. But right now, and especially when it comes to right to repair laws, the best bet is still going to be an inline four, or at least when I think about the best, like, most successful car in history by number of units sold, it's Toyota Corolla. Get a nice inline four internal combustion engine. It'll last you a quarter of a century or a million miles. And at the end of the day, I think a lot of Americans are going to come back to that th theory and thinking, what's going to last my family the longest amount of time with the least amount of maintenance? What could my buddy Bob down the street at his independent shop, what could he work on? What could he order parts on? Is it an EV? No. Now, these losses being brought against GM and Slantis is going to increase the cost. Do you think it's going to make management happy? Absolutely not. So again, at the end of the day, kind of a cliche in and of itself, the unions are just bullying the companies more and more. And I don't know what Mary Barrow is going to do. She's the CEO of General Motors. That's a company of the big three that I follow the most, have the most proficiency in regard to just business acumen. And I know the unions did give up a lot during the 2009 bankruptcies. And they did give a lot, they gave up some stuff to help Ford so they didn't go bankrupt. But at the end of the day, it's not really competitive anymore. You can't pay someone $75 an hour to put a tire on a car. Or no, it was 2009 when, it, when uh, GM went bankrupt. They're paying kids, or I say kids, they're grown ass men, $65 to put a tire on a car. That does include healthcare benefits. But at the end of the day, what the shareholder cares about and what the consumer who goes buys a car gets, cares about is the total cost, extra cost you're paying someone to put a tire in a car? That's not competitive at all. And maybe if you were to have a concession with the unions, I would say instead of medical benefits, instead of pay, offer them stock. But I don't think they'll want that because they, they would have to increase their performance exponentially because then they would have a, a vetted interest in the company. I believe one of the reasons Tesla is so um, successful is because the employees are given stock. They have an incentive to work like hell, be efficient and make the best car that they can they don't always with the gaps and everything I know, but they're investing in the company. I don't know in terms of GM and the big three, 
But I don't think they'd give the union stock options. And I don't think they'd want them. They just want, e many of them, not all, calm down in the comment section, but they just want easy money. And at the end of the day, I think it'll kill the big three. Let me know in the comments. And if you're part of the union, let me know. I'd love to hear your perspective. Even if we don't agree with each other, I always appreciate more data and I'll update the video appropriately. And I do appreciate you going back and forth. So great way to actually help the video out is leave a comment, click the subscribe button. I know it's cliche to say, but yeah, I would say the outlook for GM and Slantis is not good. And again, it wasn't the only reason these companies went bankrupt, but it is a huge variable in the equation of why they went belly up in 2009. So in terms of having more contention, again, that's whole kind of like a divorce attorney, which I find abhorrent. The whole purpose of the union and a divorce lawyer is conflict. That's when they prosper. Which is why I always say the best relationships are always, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, whether it be an employee working with their employer or husband and wife coming together to talk it out. But I digress. It'll be interesting to see what happens to the big three. But I, I would say for GM and Slantis, with the current state of the government, they'll probably have to pay some stupid amount of money for the lawsuit just to settle. And of course, they'll, you know, the cost will be passed on to you and I, the consumers. Well, not me, thankfully. I love my Honda. It's got three pedals, stick shift, as every car should have. But I digress. Going on to the business blunder of the day. You have Trader Joe's have yet another recall. Now, this is for their black bean tamales. And it looks like they're saying that they might have some, un the FDA is saying that they have some undeclared milk allergens in them. Lovely. So they got undeclared allergens in their tamales. Now, this is the sixth recall since July. That's astronomically bad. Now, this is everything from having rocks and cookies to having metal and crackers and bugs in soup. I don't know if their quality control is someone who is visually impaired or if they just don't even have quality control department, then you just lay that person off. Like I've never seen so many business blunders from Trader Joe's. They used to be a premium brand in my opinion. When I was a kid, we, I, I'm very, very fortunate. never went, went hungry, never missed a meal. But if we went to Trader Joe's, it was a special occasion. Like if we had a relative visiting like once or twice a year, our family would make the trek to Trader Joe's. It'd be a fancy, fun experience. And it did cost more than our local and then a grocery store that we went to. It was a special, unique, premium experience to us. And now it seems like they're making more and more and more mistakes. I don't, I just see their perception, their brand perception being, you know, going down precipitously. I did a poll on LinkedIn and uh, right now it's only been online for a couple of days, but I asked people with all these recalls, has your perception of the brand changed? And right now, 53% has said, yes, it's decreased my perception of the company. And a couple of people in the comments said, well, Trader Joe's isn't making the things. And I said, well, yeah, absolutely they aren't, but they're representing this product as being safe. They're selling that product. They're having a relationship with these vendors and clearly someone's not doing their job. So to me, I think this definitely decreases the quality perception of the company. I just don't see it really, it, it can't not affect it. Because again, the risk of you getting some crappy food is just getting higher and higher. Now, when asked for comment, this is a, a report from CBS Money reached out to Trader Joe's. The spokesperson from Trader Joe's said, quote, each recall was from a separate manufacturing facility, unquote. Another quote, we have a close relationship with our vendors. We will never leave to chance the safety of our products we offer, unquote. Which, I mean, clearly that's even, how's that not a lie? They never leave it to chance. I mean, so do they just not inspect anything equally? Like that, then it, it, something clearly is not working with Trader Joe's right now. And I don't know what they need to do to fix it. I mean, let me know in the comments. Will you still shop, shop at Trader Joe's with all these issues coming up? 
Do you think there, does your perception of the brand decrease because of all these recalls? Let me know in the comments, but I mean, right now, geez, the sixth recall since July, that, that recall for the black bean tamales, that, that's gotta be the business bundle of the day. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in again. Again, we're trying to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of September. Actually, 4,000 if you really swing it. So I really appreciate you clicking that button. Also, taking the time to like and comment helps me out. Appreciate the feedback and insight you have with these topics. Love to hear about your experiences. Also, and lastly, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers. Heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.